0: For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: The Houndsman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen there are no shortcuts so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash the journey begins now
2: hey guys the journey on houndsman xp is teamed up with go wild go wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters if you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild.
1: Hey Heath, I need to jump in front of you to take care of this drawing. So Houndsman XP hit 1 million downloads in the month of September, and part of that celebration we said that we would um, do a drawing for people that guess the correct date. Well, we had several people that guessed September 15th as the date, and we're going to do that drawing in this pre-roll for this show. Uh, Guys, it's going to take me just a second here. I'm going to stick to the tradition that Seth Hall has put out, and I'm going to have uh, the dog bowl ready with, with the names of the eligible participants. You can hear the names clanking around in the bowl there. But uh, what we're going to get done here is I'm going to draw this name and then you're going to, the winner, the person that I draw out, uh, you can find all the information on what's included over on uh, Houndsman XP podcast group or the Houndsman XP podcast page. We've made several posts about it and uh, it's it's going to be a pretty nice package. I know there's a handmade knife and, and some, some other great prizes there. So I'm going to draw this and then... We're going to rock on over to this podcast where Heath is going to interview Alex with his likes. But let's get this drawing done first. All right, here we go, folks. Mixing it up. Mixing those names up in the bowl. I'm going to pull one person out of here. I think this is so awesome. This set started using a dog bowl for our drawings. With all the spinner wheels and everything out there. Yeah, we're keeping it, we're keeping it simple and keeping it on message with a dog bowl. All right, we got Brody Grindstaff. You guessed the correct date of September 15th. Again, that's Brody Grindstaff. Brody, reach out to us at um, I'm gonna just give you my email address, Chris.com. XP at gmail.com. I'm going to need your shipping address and um, your your all that stuff. So if you want to get a prize package, you got to reach out to me. Let me know. I don't know where you live, buddy. So, Brody, congratulations. Thanks for, for participating. And thanks to all of our listeners who helped us achieve 1 million downloads. We also have another drawing going on right now, and that is for us to um, uh, award people who are giving us a current review on Apple Podcast. And uh, all you got to do is go over to Apple Podcast. We prefer that five-star rating up there. Just click that five-star and then just write a line or two. A lot of you are um, doing that right now, but there's still a really good chance to win another great prize package. I know there's a custom oil uh portrait or painting. I'm not sure if it's oil, it might be acrylic, but, but anyway, it's going to be a custom painting of your hound. So you got that memorable favorite hound. You got a good picture of that hound. we we've contracted an artist to give you something that you can hang on your wall. That'll be a keepsake forever. That's just one of them. And again, you can find out all the details on that drawing on the Houndsman XP podcast, Facebook or on the uh, Houndsman XP Instagram accounts. All right, Heath, I'm going to kick it over to you, buddy. Take it away. Today
2: on the journey, we are going to stay here in Southwest Virginia, not West Virginia, West Virginia. We are here in Reiner. Uh, we're at the Hacienda. I'm looking out on the ridge and leaves are starting to change just a little bit. Um, It's dry, it's been really dry the last couple weeks, even though we've had thunderstorms through August. But we are going to be here today with Alex, and I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I will butcher it, but Alex is running some interesting dogs on bear. Um, I've been intrigued by this for about a year now, and I actually have a guy that I uh, back home, um, Nate or Jason Spicer—that's running some of these, some of these dogs—and we're going to learn about the like us today. Um, we're going to kind of learn where they originated from, what they were bred for, and what piqued his interest in these running these dogs on on bear. You know, most of us are houndsmen, and hounds are a traditional um, dog that we run, but i mean alex is catching bear and doing it pretty consistently so we're going to sit back and just enjoy this part of the journey so alex pronounce your last name so i'm not having to do it
3: uh yeah it's uh, the full name is alexander kurashev but i go by alex it's just easier
2: and Northern Virginia, you're inside that DC commute, yep, which is absolutely torture if nobody's been through the DC Beltway and having to sit in traffic for hours.
3: Yeah, well, so I do, uh, I do some bow hunting for deer, uh-huh. and uh, it just gives me the additional motivation to get up early and drive to my tree stand <laughs> way before the traffic starts. Because oh. if I'm late, it's not even you know it's still dark out, but there are people just lined up even 45 minutes from DC. Yeah. It's, yeah, you got to be there in that tree stand early before the traffic starts. So
2: do you hunt close to the...
3: I have several properties. Are you talking about deer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can hunt in my backyard. It's just kind of small. Right. Um, but I have several properties within... 10 15 20 minutes drive i got you and but they're all smaller properties what they call urban right. bow hunting right. so you know it's not uncommon for me to pull back and wait for a bus stop to, <laughs> to load up all the kids and then it starts taking off and i release the arrow but
2: you know there are some pretty good books in those urban areas
3: yes indeed yeah, yeah. are but, you seeing those yeah yeah but uh a lot of people come you know they, they believe that bow hunting in urban areas easy and uh you would I mean first thing you you'd see those deer you're driving uh, through a neighborhood or you walking you can even be walking with your dog and you see them deer like twenty yards to the left and they're not going nowhere right. but as soon as you put on that cam and you start sneaking in they know something is up they take off or if they smell something new they they know what the, all the local dogs smell like they know what, you know all the people that go hiking and whatever or cutting their grass they know them all if some some new smell is there is there mm-hmm. it's they're still. It's not easy.
2: They're harder than what people think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you you see where I live. Before deer season, you'll see. I mean, I seen three deer right here behind the dog lot, the tree, right at dusk dark. They come up to the apple tree, mm. and literally the apple trees within ten foot of my dog lot. The deer were standing right outside it. Now, when season comes in, mm-hmm. you will not see them out in this oh, field. Yeah. like they. They are not not easy yeah. pickings like that. So. <clears throat> So tell us about the tell us about the Leica, and, well tell us about what got you started bear hunting, and what what was your decision or what was your thought process in getting the Leica for that?
3: Right. Well, I'll start from. I guess let me start with. So I was born in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, I was twenty-one years old, I guess. Oh yeah, so twenty um, finished my university there and kind of was time to move out of my parents' house. <laughs> so I moved out, ended up here in, in, in the United States and, um, ended up staying here. You know, I, at that time, I just, I just wanted to have fun and, right. you know, um, then I get a credit card and you get a first year car loan, your first car loan and, next thing you know you're pretty much you're hooked. Yeah, you're hooked. You're you're not going anywhere. But uh I grew up in a hunting family, so that, that was one of the, one of the reasons I decided to stay here. Uh, was just driving down Route 7 up in northern Virginia and seeing deer left and right everywhere like oh my god, I I grew up in Russia in the middle of nowhere and I didn't see that much that, you know, wildlife right. in my entire life, although we went hunting a lot. And I always, again, growing up in the hunting family, that was my passion. So I stayed here. It took me a little while, several years, to get my all the you know paperwork straight. Became a citizen. First thing I did, I got my first gun. It was mm-hmm. a side by side twelve gauge. Oh yeah. Because um, that's because that's what my dad used to hunt with, and um, started deer hunting. Then got into um, bow hunting because I just wanted to extend the season and with the archery early season it was you know logical step to start bow hunting then I um so yeah hunting, hunting in Virginia we have three big game species mm-hmm. uh deer turkey and bear I, I I was I was seeing and I was harvesting deer seeing turkeys but I never saw bear I was like, what is this bear thing that's, you know, it's always in the regulation books, but I never get to see one. And so then I started doing some research online, going to different forums back then. Um, I guess Facebook was around, but I don't think the hunting groups were that popular in the beginning. But anyways, so just old school forums and asking questions and trying to do some research. I found out about places like Highland County, Augusta County um national forest Um, started going there looking for berries that was probably 10 years ago
2: now was this with or without dogs?
3: without without no 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 again i'm either bow hunting or uh, at that time i I think i had 30 out six already Uh so just firearm season firearm season i I, I use a gun bow season i use a bow or crossbow i kind of went back and forth between bow and crossbow and settled on a compound bow Uh um so yeah, I, I started going out to Highland County National Forest there, um, Highland Wildlife Management Area. You know, I would spend, I would camp there, uh, December, trying to find. Some, you know, I don't, I didn't have any friends hunting or anything like that. So, just looking for a sign and just trying to figure it out. And then at some point, one day, I actually got to see a bear. It was a mother, uh, female with a uh-huh. cub, and I guess I said, uh, you know, hiking for a while sat down to take a rest and probably ate my sandwich or something and uh, just look up and there's this bear 40 yards away and just moving through the, you know, fallen trees and it December, So leaves on the ground, everything's crunchy, but that thing is so quiet. And like how? I was amazed. I knew it would be some, some really cool experience, but I didn't realize how cool it would be. Right. So that was my first experience with a bear. And then I, you know, continued trying to get a bear and I just couldn't. I would go out and I would try and try and try, and then I went to Alaska several times. Uh, do it yourself type thing, you know, same thing. Go there, buy the tag over the counter, and go looking for sign.
2: You just spotting, stalking.
3: Yeah, pretty much with my thirty out six, and um still nothing. And I made friends with some hunters in Alaska, and they allowed me to sit at their bait site. Mm-hmm. That's when I saw first bear in Alaska and at, at that time I think it was my like fourth or fifth trip to Alaska and I was oh, start- wow. yeah I was seriously starting to question if there's no bears in Alaska it's <laughs> <laughs> still so, like to, to lure in the tur- tourists but no yeah there are bears in Alaska all right and then since then I um I went back to Alaska several times but I never got a bear I had my opportunities but uh, but still so I came back to Virginia and I'm like okay well so what do I do uh, I tried hunting during archery season I tried bait hunting at, in Alaska we can't hunt in, oh, we cannot bait in Virginia so that's not an option here uh, so I'm doing some, re- mo- some more research trying to find alternative ways of bear hunting and I find such thing as hound hunting for bears mm-hmm. and so I do some research on that and I'm like okay well I live not far from D.C. I don't think I can have a pack of, pack of hounds if I do I don't think I'll be able to, get, you know, train and exercise them enough because where I live, we, we can't cannot uh, chase bears with, uh-huh. with dogs. Um, it's all private land, small smaller parcels. Right. You know, it could be up to forty <coughs> acres, and sometimes even more. But most of them are five, ten acres, so that's not an option at all. And so, and I'm talking all this time. I'm talking with some of my f- friends from back home. Um, and some of them suggested, said, Why, why don't you get a leica? And now, when, where I grew up in Russia hunting, it's all flatland, it's all agricultural fields, and we had no bears there. There's some deer and, and tons of small game and waterfowl. So that's what we hunt. So, leica, even though obviously I knew about it, I just never hunted with one because, again, we didn't have any bears or anything. Any. Um, it just it was not popular in that region that I grew up in. And so I didn't, I started researching that and, and uh, figured, well, if they use Leicas to hunt brown bear in Russia, it should work on black bear. And uh, back then there was a forum, um, actual forum here in the United States, uh, Leica like Forum, I think it was. Um, and I asked there and said, hey, anyone ever hunts black bear with Leica? Anyone had success, and a couple people said that they squirrel hunt and they trade bear occasionally, but not on purpose. And I said, well, that's a start. And so I went back to Russia and picked up two pups and brought them here, and that's how my journey began. Started? (laughs) Yeah.
2: So, I mean, you didn't have a mentor. You didn't have anybody, like, teaching you showing you or
3: no I'm really shy and introverted yeah <laughs> yes and yes I am <laughs>
2: but I mean you've picked I mean you know you've picked this up on your own and you you know you've done your research you know you've went to areas so tell us a little history about the leica um, you, you and I had talked about it earlier today you know give us some background on it you know what they were bred for and tell us you know you have four of them tell us a little bit about your dogs and I want to get into I want to know how you train these mm-hmm. dogs without anybody and
3: any help. Right. Yeah, I'll tell you about that part of the journey. But, um, yeah, there are several different uh, types of Lycas. Um, I guess they're considered different breeds. But all the Lycas are what they call a primitive breed. So it's like, you know, to make a Labrador retriever, they took two existing breeds, and they said, we want something from that breed that's already been established and from that breed, and they cro- you know, cross them, mm-hmm. and now we have a Labrador retriever. And the same thing happened with most of the uh, nowadays existing breeds. With Lycus, it was never like that. They took, I guess, a wolf way, way, way back when, mm-hmm. domesticated it, and those, it became a dog, right? So those dogs in remote villages of Siberia somewhere that were doing what their hunter master wanted them to do basically hunt, those were fed and those surri- surri- survived the winters those that did not hunt, they didn't survive and that's how that breed was developed or established I guess I guess it developed on its own mm-hmm. uh, following the requirements of life back then right. conditions and, and circumstances so that's why they called it a primitive breed, because it kind of developed on its own, so so to speak. And so there are different regions uh, in Siberia and across uh, Russia in general, including the Scandinavian countries, mm-hmm. where this type of dog developed into a slightly different versions of it. So there are several types of Lycas and or several types of primitive breeds and so, those the the ones I have are West Siberian Laika. Mm-hmm. They also have East Siberian Laika. They have uh, the, the dog that's kind of known here, uh, the black and white Karelian Caril- Berry dog, um, elk hounds, mm-hmm. and uh, fin- Finnish spits. Mm-hmm. So, they're all kind of sort of, if you look at them, they all have same, uh, the same characteristic. The tail is curled up, the ears are standing up and they kind of look like a wolf or a coyote or fox well,
2: i was going to tell you and i, I didn't want to interrupt you but just looking at your dogs their muzzle reminded me a lot of a coyote mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was more narrow and longer and the teeth were very prominent right like i picked that up when i looked at them
3: yeah yeah, yeah. so then th- that's why when the season actual hunting season starts th- they have to wear orange vests um so yeah, uh, we don't go out during the hunting season without the vests on the dogs and you know, right. some orange, obviously.
2: Where, does, me. where does the curl tail come from? Like I, you know, I told you my great granddad had some elk hounds, mm-hmm. and they remind me of that. But where do we know if they originated from the wolf? Right, that is not a characteristic of the wolf. Correct. So where did that? What breed? What what animal or what dog got put into that? to start doing that. And is there a purpose for the curled tail? Does it serve a purpose or is that just a, that's just a genetic thing for this breed?
3: So I, I don't, I don't really know. And I'm not sure. I don't think anyone really knows how it came to be. I do know that, um, that um, among a lot of uh, hunters in Russia, Although there are some people with a, a different opinion, but it's considered um, they so some people out there they cross uh, with back to wolves to uh-huh. supposedly to bring to add more strength or aggression or whatever. Um, in reality, and what that's what I hear from a lot of uh, experienced hunters, um, it's it never ends up well because again it, with uh, that extra strength. You also add extra aggression, or mm-hmm. dogs become more wary and afraid of humans. That's right. what the the wolf blood adds to the mix.
2: I got a couple coyotes down here myself. <laughs> they about as shy as a coyote. <laughs> well,
3: so the curled tail may have been an indication for a, for a let's say again we're talking several centuries ago, if not thousands of years ago. Let's say there's this uh, hunting cabin somewhere. <laughs> Uh, or some, some house in a village and there's this family of hunters and they have a litter of pups and they keep them for several months to figure out which ones they're going to keep and a couple of them have a tail that looks, resembles a wolf's tail and a couple have, somehow they have a, could be due to a certain degree of inbreeding at that early stage or something else, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up, but it's possible that when they saw the, cur- the the tail curled up, in their minds they're like, okay, well this dog doesn't have the wolf features, so it'll be friendly. It will not attack my kids. It I will not you. attack my, you know, cow outside or whatever. Uh-huh. And they they kept the curly tail one, mm-hmm. hoping that it will not carry on the wolf side, wolf right. blood. So maybe that. But what I use it for, and what hunters like hunters use it for, it's basically it's it's a it's an indicator of the dog's. Condition. So let's say it's getting hot. The dog is dehydrated, exhausted. The tail hangs low. Mm -hmm. They smell a bear. They smell some, you know, whatever we're chasing. In my case, a bear. A tail curls back up immediately. It's like a flag for you. Yeah. So it's an indicator, and I know. Or if if the dog is hurt, uh, I might not show it, but I can tell that something is not right by the by looking at the tail. By the way they carry. Yeah, and sometimes. You know, sometimes it's been a long day and we're hiking and hiking and I kind of see the dogs are not curling their tail up as much. And I'm like, and, th- and that's how they're telling me, okay, let's, let's call it a day. Let's go home and recover and we'll come back tomorrow. So that tail is also an indicator.
2: Right, yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> what were the Leica, and I know you said that they were originated for hunting, but where you got yours, what, what, was, they, what was the primary use for them?
3: Well, so hold that thought. I'll, I'll get. I'll, I'll go. Back. I'll return to this question of yours. But there are certain, as I, and I mentioned before, there are certain types of Lyca's that were not strictly hunting dogs. Oh, really? And when I was sitting down to do my my research, the reason I picked West Siberian Lyca's was again, this is the results of the research that I've done. Um, I'm sure someone else might disagree with this, but which is fine. But the they. Two alternatives coming out from Russia, in other words, the three most popular Laika breeds in Russia are West Siberian Laika, East Siberian, and they call it REL, which is Russo-European Laika, which is the same as Karelian Bear berry dog, Uh black and white. So the RELs, the black and whites, are known for slightly more aggressive towards other dogs, um, which could be a benefit when we're talking bear hunting, but... Again, I don't want any aggression excessive aggression, unnecessary aggression towards other dogs, mm-hmm. and also the KBDs and and those dogs are they're kind of known for seizures. Mm. Doesn't happen often, but it's every now and again those dogs they experience that.
2: So that's a genetic trait, that they right? Pass.
3: So when they, whenever they separated that black and because initially they all came from the same stock mm-hmm. and they just are, then they when they say they people hunters. They kind of got involved and they said, okay, we're going to make out of this whole pool of genes, we're going to pick out the black and whites, white ones and we're going to make it a separate breed. When they narrowed down the gene pool, I think that's where those uh, genetic mm. uh, uh, seizure problems may mm-hmm. have been may have come in. Um, so that kind of was a deal breaker for me. The East Siberian lycas are larger and they're used 50-50 hunting and uh, sled pulling. Um, yeah. Out that way, they're larger dogs. Um, you saw my male; he is kind of longer. He's
2: longer and taller. Yeah,
3: but those are even larger on average. Now, just like with people, some could be shorter, some can be taller, but on average, they're slightly larger. Which at that time, I've I've done some re- Well, first of all, it's a fifty percent sled dog, fifty percent hunt dog, which I'm not into sledding at all. Right. Uh, so I was like, well, that's, I guess that's not what I'm looking for. And another thing is I've been told by multiple he- hunters here that they prefer a smaller dog for, a mount- for, for this setting, for the mountains, Appalachian Mountains. And so the third option was the West Siberian Lycas. Uh, they're probably most uh, common. That means that their genes are as diverse as it can be. Uh, health problems are virtually non-existent. They're very um, easy, maintenance-free dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I chose those. Um, and I promised to go back to your question. Sure enough, I forgot your question.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: uh. About my dogs, how I picked my dogs. And okay, so uh, the, I have some friends back in Russia that that hunt lycas, uh for moose mm-hmm. and uh, for sable. Sable. It's kind of like I guess maybe like Fisher here. Uh, yep. Um, so
2: it's of a cat species.
3: Well, they're not. Fisher cat is not a cat. It's more like a, like, I guess weasel maybe or wolverine type yeah. thing, but they're just smaller. So, but they're not uh, cat cat. They right. call them Fisher cat, but whatever. Uh, so it's it's basically. I, I was looking for for a dog that would tree something and stay mm. treed. but I needed that something to be slightly larger than a squirrel, because obviously a squirrel cannot fight back, you know. Right. So. When I was reaching out to different breeders and Russians and some of my friends, I was was telling them, look, I need a bear dog, but the bear dog, such bear dog that would actually tree, not just bay on the ground, because that's what brown bears do. They don't really climb. Right. They bay them on the ground. So it was a kind of, you know, odd, weird request to find a Laika that will be a bear dog, but at the same time will be a tree dog. Right. Um... And in my mind, and, and, you know, everyone, everybody was coming up with different suggestions. People saying, well, just get a moose-like or a boar-like because boars can, you know, cause some damage. So you need a like with a very strong mental uh, strength, strength uh, mentally strong. And I decided to get a dog uh, from what they call like a big game line, so moose, uh-huh. boar, that had... Uh, <coughs> close relatives or parents with uh sable uh, diplomas or yeah. sable um, hunting experience uh, sable is basically it's a i don't know how big they get maybe fifteen pounds or so, mm-hmm. but they tree and so the dog has to stay tree till a hunter gets there and shoots it out so yeah it's not the sable is not as big as a bear but if I figured if if they have if it has some Big game blood in it, and it can tree well, stay treed. That's what I want. And then from there, I'll show it black bear at some point, and they'll it, either they're going to figure out or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how again, that's how my journey with like has started. And um, this is where we're, we're coming to your question: How I train them? Hold on, I got to go back. Okay,
2: you said that they had to have a like they had to have a sable, either diploma or yes. So. It- um, last week, a couple of weeks ago, I had, um, Ken Parker who had the Bavarian Hound okay. from Germany yep. and he was talking about the breeding process mm-hmm. and they had, they had to meet a certain standard
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that if they didn't meet that standard, they didn't get registered mm-hmm. and they didn't and you get can, bred. And
3: you can breed them. Yeah. So
2: you're telling me the same thing. With okay. The so, yours.
3: Right, yeah. So on the spectrum of <clears throat> kind of loose breeding, breeding rules, Which we see here in this country, and extremely strict, which we see in Germany. Uh Russia is kind of in the middle. Uh Uh, So yes, we have certain uh, testing uh, tests in place. Uh, However, not everyone, you know, follows them. But people that are uh, interested in hunting, they will ask for those certificates Mm -hmm. and see what their dogs' parents did. What. The parents of the parents and so on. Right. So, like my dogs, if you look at their pedigree, uh, it has a whole bunch of different. Besides the names of the sire and, and dam, and, and 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 then their grandparents and so on, it has a tons and ton of different symbols, mm-hmm. d- numbers, and letters, and and just abbreviations. And those all all those symbols are codes for different game species that those dogs were tested, uh-huh. and then what what degree of diploma. They obtained. So when you look at all that, you can kind of figure out with some certainty what you're going to end up with.
2: Well, your chances are a whole lot better from something that's that's proven. I believe so, yes. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I know we won't get off topic, but I think we we Americans, and especially the hound hunters, we got to do better. You know, we can't be breeding Sally to Joe back here just because we're buddies. We're not producing the optimum the optimal hound that we want. But anyway, so good. I was, when you said that, I was like, ah, okay, yeah. here we go. So. Yeah. It's
3: important if you, if you really care about it, <coughs> if you're, you know, if you're into, if you're getting into this long-term, if you really want to be successful, I think it's no brainer.
2: Yeah. Um. I mean, I wished we had te- I mean, I wished we had tests that we could take our dogs out and, and say, okay, you know, yeah, this this is a bear dog under these standards, and mm-hmm. this is not a bear dog under these standards. But
3: Well, I hear that back in the day you could do it legally in the United States where you had a bear on the chain, and you could test mm-hmm. dogs on that. I don't yeah. think you can do it no more.
2: No, no, <laughs> the, the Humane Society of America slipped in and took, yeah. took that away. So. Well, they
3: still do it in Russia, and I before the whole thing started in Europe, um, European Eastern European hunters, they would take their lycus which were initially imported from Russia, they would take them back to Russia and test them on bear. Because again, in, somewhere in Poland, it's also not not highly illegal mm-hmm. to to train on a to, to test on a bear like that on a chain. But they would take them to Russia, get the diplomas, mm-hmm. translate them, you know, ver, uh, notarize them and whatnot, bring them back, have puppies, and sell those puppies for more money because the parents are proven bear right. dogs. So. They can still do it legally. It's been under attack, obviously, over there as well. Right. Uh, but so, so far, there's still ways to to to, to do it. Now, mm-hmm. my dogs, I never introduced him to a live bear. They treat their first bear on their own.
2: Well, okay. So let's. T- that's when that was my next question. Tell me about your four dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you got right. one that you're not hunting now, but we, I want to know why. Tell tell us about tell us the age. Tell us you know where you know where they're at in the the pack. How how they work and. And then we'll get into mm-hmm. to how they operate.
3: Right. So I'll start with the my first two dogs that I brought over close to four years ago, three and a half years ago. They're about four years now. I mean, I guess I need to look at my records, but they're not quite four years ago, uh, mm-hmm. four years old. So I brought them here about three and a half years ago, still as pups. So again, I got them by based on a recommendation of my good friend uh-huh. who hunts the same bloodline. Uh, in fact they're pretty close relatives his his dogs and mine Uh, mine is just a little younger and um he hunts on moose and so that tells me that they're not afraid of large big game Uh that can charge sometimes and and can can even you know cause some damage and the dog is mentally strong to overcome come it recover and continue hunting that was important for me so i got the pups and uh Again, we're let's go back to what I was t- saying in the beginning. I was really passionate. I wanted to see a bear as a third game species in Virginia, a big game species, and I wanted to, you know, to harvest one. And I just couldn't. And I kept trying, trying, trying. And then I get, I go, fly back to Russia, bring those two pups. They're still four months old. Mm-hmm. And it happens to be, or maybe six months, whatever. And then the uh, archery, October, archery bear season starts, and I'm sitting out there for, and, and it correlates with deer season. So I'm sitting there with my bow uh, while my pups are at home. They're five, six months old. And I'm waiting for a deer and a bear shows up. And he comes right to my tree stand, it's like seven, eight yards maybe. Mm-hmm. So I shoot him with my bow and I bring it home. I put it in the wheelbarrow. It was a relatively small like 150 pound bear mm-hmm. so I got it there got it there and I put it on my shoulders and brought it back to my truck drove home put it in the wheelbarrow wheel it over to to my dogs in the backyard and they just go crazy they start barking like I mean five six months old pups mm-hmm. at first they kind of pulled back a little bit not sure what it was but then I kind of shake the wheelbarrow I don't know if you're gonna he might have to cut it out because <laughs> no, no. here i am in my yeah. backyard with with the dead bear which by the way again i went to russia brought this bear dogs in hopes that finally this is how i'm gonna get my first <laughs> bear and then i go deer hunting and it just happens to walk by
2: yeah
3: so anyways that's where their first and only uh, uh, Training uh, experience. Training experience, yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody that I talked to, I explained them the situation. I said, I can't take them to a chain bear. There's just, it's just not an option. They said, well, just build work on their confidence. Uh, the more time, this is what they told me, and this is what I'm, from, from that, from after that, what they told me did work, this is what I'm telling everyone who wants to get into the like, is you got to build their confidence, and you got to, and, and you do it through, spending a lot of time in the woods with them and letting them figure it out uh-huh. on their own. Right. So I just started. So first thing I worked on was the commands to recall, <coughs> come. As soon as I knew that they would come, and I got my first garments, mm-hmm. I put the garments on, I did the beep thing, which, again, with those dogs, they're so mentally stable. like They were never gun-shy, and that's how most likes are. Um, I guess, well-bred, like I should say, probably, uh, fireworks. Like I have a lab, uh-huh. she's nine and a half. And then although we hunt goose hunt and we do pheasant hunting in Pennsylvania, once, once it's, it's, it's a hunting scenario, she has no problem with guns going off. No problem. Fireworks. I'm talking about my lab mm-hmm. fireworks, thunder. She's just freaking out. She's yep. just, this like us, They don't care. Fireworks, they're looking around where they're, they're looking up at the trees thinking the bear is about to fall out. You know, right. So they're from the little tiny, from when they're small. So that mental strength was never a problem with these dogs. I got the garments to make sure I don't lose them, and I got the recall command come, right. you know, kind of working 75% of the time. Right. They're still small, six months. I start taking them in the woods. First, they wouldn't leave me. They would stay, you know, in sight with me, 50 yards tops, sometimes less because of brush, whatever. They would venture out a little bit, 50, 100 yards. they always come back, check on me. Little tiny pups. The first thing they treed, well, they bade, technically, I guess the right word is bade. They were probably seven months, and it happened way up uh, on the mountain, probably like 200 feet elevation, but it just—it was one of those mountains that you, by the time you get there, you're like, okay, <laughs> so you're exhausted. Okay. But it was a turtle, you know, oh. one of those box turtles, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But they were seven months old pups, and they were just baying and like frill, like you know, some mean yeah. bear or something. They're you know getting in close enough, and and you at that time I could see how would they, and, you know, everybody's talking how to get two like because when you see two like working one bear, it'll be some. You know, it's, it'll be a, an art because what they do, they they take turns. One dog in, engages the bear, turns that dog backs off, and when when the bear is paying attention to the first dog, the the second dog on the opposite side engages the bear, and that's how they wear it out till the bear says, "Just I'm just gonna either if it's a brown bear, it might sit down and just kind of." Uh, uh, stay there so they keep them in one spot so the hunter can approach for a shot or if it's a black bear it just gives up and climbs a tree but that's what they were doing on that little turtle (laughs) so I climbed up and I see that turtle I wasn't mad because that was part of the process Um, I knew I'm going to raccoon hunt with them so I was taking them out at night uh, because that's something that fortunately we can do all year round here in Virginia Um, I never showed them um, you know, any coon hides or anything like that. I didn't at that time. I didn't have any friends in coon hunting. Um, I was. I didn't know anything about trapping. I still don't really know much about trapping. Um, anyway, so I started taking them out in the woods. So that that time spent in the woods allows them to build confidence and figure out, um, you know, figure out what's going on. And that tree and chasing game and tree and game, tree and instinct is within them. I guess, uh, genetically. And they just need to gain enough confidence, and they will first bait a a turtle, then they'll tree a squirrel, then they'll tree a possum, then a raccoon, and then the next step would be a bear. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been told, and that's exactly how it played out. At about probably seven, seven, eight months old, they were treating a lot of possums. Ten months, one year, um, they were train started training tra- tra- raccoons. Mm-hmm. Never showed them any raccoons or anything, they just trained them. Obviously, for me to encourage them to continue training that particular game, I would shoot it out mm-hmm. and I would praise them. Next time they treat a possum, that's not on the menu anymore for me. I've had, I've, I've eaten a lot of p- possums by that point, um, which I still like them, but um, I was done with possums because of the dogs. I wanted them to progress to raccoons. So I told them, we're going to leave them alone now, and I, would, I stopped shooting them. Uh-huh. Eventually, they stopped treeing them. So now it was raccoons only. Um, and then the next thing, next thing, they were about one and a half years old and were just out in the woods, and all of a sudden they start treeing. Not far from where I was, I would go, go up there, and it's a bear. Mm. And that's, that was it, you know.
2: So basically, <clears throat> like I said, I know you and I kind of touched on it earlier um, we, we want to talk about the style, but basically, you just just walking in the woods, yep. and you know, basically, they happened up on one, or your rabbit jumped it, whichever way, and the dogs have enough gaminess mm-hmm. that they're gonna catch it, right, and either bay it or tree it,
3: right. And I'm sure now that I have two younger dogs, and now that I can tell what my older dogs, I have had enough experience with the older dogs, and I know by looking at the garment, I know what they're. Chasing. Now that that I see that my nine, ten months old pups, uh, they they would be chasing a bear, but they would leave it and they wouldn't bark and they wouldn't pressure it much. In other words, they would not engage it because they don't feel confident. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure because in the beginning I had tons of races that were like 300 yards and then my dogs just stop and come back. And mind you, that's one thing I I, I guess I should have mentioned. The only training I did was breaking them off of deer. Mm -hmm. And I did use the the garment with the stimulation um, and it worked fine. But I also use a lot of verbal commands with them Mm -hmm. and it seems to, to work just fine. You know, so it, it, but that's when I see a deer, when they jump a deer and they take off, and I would just yell at them, and they come back. Maybe two, three times I used the Garmin collar, uh, the stimulation for that, but mostly it was verbal. And eventually they stopped. But what I'm saying is, when my older dogs, when I was still learning all this, when they were still learning, from like one year to one and a half, when they first treat their bear in those six months, we had multiple chases that ended within three, four hundred yards. And I was like, I wonder what they're chasing. Uh Now I'm looking at the young pups when we go out with the older ones. And I I see the same pattern, and I see that the younger ones are chasing the bear, but they're just not confident enough to engage and treat it, and they give up. And it happened a couple times now where they kind of chased. The older dogs were on on the other side of the ridge, and it just happened that they chased the bear towards the older ones, and they treat it. So I'm, I'm with confidence I can say that, Uh, my dogs, younger, uh, older dogs, until they gained confidence, they were chasing, they were finding bears, Mm -hmm. they were interested in it, but they were not confident enough and they wouldn't engage and they wouldn't tree. And only when they got to one and a half years old, when they treed first one, it was still early, kind of like probably late September. And then that first December when the season opened, we went out several times and then finally we treed one and I shot it and that pretty much sealed the deal, right, and ever since they they knew that that's what's our object uh, you know that's that's our what we're after
2: right, so you and I were talking earlier, so you you had your older female you said is the alpha
3: well they're no they're sisters, but the the one of them is the alpha, just yeah. like with any you know pack that you'd have a right and that this is interesting, and this again, this is something that. Um, I don't I guess I don't this probably should be a different podcast and I'm hoping maybe there's been this been discussed, but I kinda of gonna mention it, maybe you to hear your input. But with Lycus, one of the things that's valued is the range, like how far they range out uh-huh. from a hunter. Because most of the time they would stay within three hundred yards, sometimes three hundred yards, occasionally they go out five hundred yards. Typically in my case, if my dogs are going off five hundred Plus, that means they're chasing some. Right? They usually stay close. Now, <clears throat> some some dogs venture out f- farther; others stay closer. I've noticed that my alpha stays closer. Mm-hmm. The second dog, and this is how I, this is what's something that I, w- I wanted to see your opi- hear your opinion. I think it's n- it, it, okay, okay. So, and, and uh, people would say, "Well, this dog has a larger range because." That It genetically has larger, wider mm-hmm. range. And I, te- I kind of disagree with that. I think it's not so much because they're sisters, so mm-hmm. technically genes would probably be very similar litter mates. Uh, I think it's psychological. So here we have the alpha, and here we have the second dog that's more... You know so let's say I give' them food, I give' them bones, and then they chew on those bones, and I kind of forget about them and I walk or I'm at work, and I know that at some point the alpha would come over and and, and take the bone mm-hmm. from the other dog so this if we tree a coon and I shoot it out, the butcher, butcher the alpha that's the, the alpha's name mm-hmm. she claims that coon mm-hmm. and if the second dog tries to approach it, she growls at her. now, I don't uh, encourage that or in fact I tell her you know to behave and not, I don't encourage that behavior, but still, right. she's the alpha and she'll do it. And I can't be there 24-7 with them, so she, occasionally she does what alphas do. And so this is with the scenario that I see with my dogs, and I wonder if the same thing is happening with hounds, where the alpha, she stays closer to me, and the second dog is thinking, okay, well, if I tree something here, she's going to come over and she's going to take, take over. She's going to claim that whatever... You know, Mm fine. So I'm going to go off half a mile or further out and try to find and tree something for myself instead of staying here close to to the alpha. And so she goes off on her own. And so someone else looking at this says, well, that dog has a wide range. Mm -hmm. And I say, they both have the same range. It's just that dog is not the alpha and she wants to get away from the alpha and go hunting something that the alpha will not claim. That's how I see it, because sometimes the, the, my alpha, if, if, or if I take her by herself, sometimes should venture out. And on top of that, every now and again, let's say we're in, following the ridge top, and uh, the, my alpha is next to me, and the other dog goes way down to down the holler, to a creek or something. That alpha would stand there and look and listen down below, waiting for the second dog to bark. And as soon as she barks, then she runs. If that dog doesn't bark and comes back, then we continue on following the ridge top. But this alpha, she won't waste any energy Mm -hmm. uh, for nothing. She knows that that dog is out there somewhere, and if she barks, then she'll go and, you know, start treeing with her. Anyways. I
2: I don't, I mean, I don't know. I can see that. I can see that, what you're saying. I can see a dog, especially knowing the, the pack order of a dog getting away. And I can see the other side of it because I have dogs that are in the me- middle of the pack that uh-huh. hunt different, you know, hunt different ranges. So I, I don't know. I don't know that I could give you. a... But
3: uh, in your pack, and, and I know you also free cast a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, do you know which one is the alpha? Um. Can you tell, or it changes? Do they challenge each other?
2: No, mine are pretty. Probably pretty even keel.
3: So my, you are the alpha, then I guess.
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> technically, maybe my little female Kate, um, she's the one that does more posturing. Mm-hmm. She don't put up with no, and she's not mean or nothing like that. By no means, but like the younger dogs, if they get to playing and being silly, mm-hmm. boom, mm-hmm. she postures at them, and she'll give them that head tilt, mm-hmm. and they go and leave her alone. Um, so I know that she's showing that, right? You know that alpha part.
3: So when you go out hunting, does she tend to range out wider, or she tends to stay closer?
2: No, she actually slips out on me more so. She'll okay. she'll like I said if she's if she's getting past that four hundred mark, I need mm-hmm. to watch because she's she's getting ready to bust out of there.
3: Meaning that she's chasing some. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. Yeah. But not like in search and search and no. mode.
2: No. No. She she'll she well all of my dogs. And I, and I, but I've trained, but I've trained them. Mm -hmm. Like I want my dogs within a 300 yard circle. Mm -hmm. Um, Because just like the terrain you're hunting, I mean, sometimes they pop over, get in another ridge, another collar over, they could be opening in there and doing whatever the dogs can't hear. Mm -hmm. So I like my dogs in that kind of that circumference. I like that. You know, if they range out an extra hundred yards or so, I don't say too much, but I'm watching. Um, And again... I usually have my older dogs loose and my younger dogs mm. on a lead or something or right. I don't lead them but I put them on a double coupler together and they walk with me.
3: Um Yeah, it's entirely different, yeah. entirely different dynamic. Yeah. And and I, I I've hunted with hounds some um but I don't have enough experience to compare. And I don't yeah. even think we should I don't even think we Not, need to compare. It's just a different hunting style.
2: But I want to do yeah, I do want to um compare a little bit. Hmm. The, you know, My experience with the elk hound, which is kind of, you know, what we see, they're tight. They're tight mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, You're talking about three, four, five, 600-yard races. Is that because the dogs are pretty much silent until they catch? Mm -hmm. And then once they catch, it's like, bam, I got you. You're either going to set – we're going to either bay you or you're going up a tree. Right. Do you think that's – Yeah,
3: so the surprise – uh, part of it is probably the most important thing that works in in, the, in this you know in the dog's favor. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing is they do engage um, some. Again, they if the terrain and the uh, uh, the thickness of the uh, cover mm-hmm. allows for maneuvering, which again I've I've been lucky enough to observe where I'm on the opposite side of a holler. I could see the dogs working the bear, and, and that's what they were doing. One engages or gets close enough for the, for the bear to pay more attention to this dog, and that's at the that same time when the bear turned its back on the other dog, the dog bites it on its mm-hmm. you know, hind legs. And bears obviously don't like that, and then eventually they'll climb. Um, or if it's a bigger bear, which we experienced earlier this training season, they just kind of get their butt in some real thick stuff. Yeah, they'll set back on it where they can Yeah, and they, they just yeah. face the the dogs and dogs are barking and some, every now and again they kind of bluff charge and mm-hmm. they go back into that corner yep. you know, where they find, you know, they feel more or less safe because the the yeah, back they, is... they don't <laughs> like
2: their back end full width. So, I, I mean, we've seen this multiple times with dogs, you know, backing up, back, like I said, in a rock outcrop or backing in a thick, thick laurel bush. Right. Um, something to keep their hind end from being exposed and you know, when you was talking to me about that earlier, I really thought uh, what that's, it just screamed intelligence, like a dog that knows to not get the front end.
3: It could be that, but also um, going back to those testing mm-hmm. um uh, t- t- uh, trials, I guess, right. they do in Russia. They give you certain points for, they give you three degrees, different degrees of diplomas, like first, second, and th- third degree. Uh-huh. And in order, um, they they rate you or your dogs for different things. And certain actions deserve more points. Mm-hmm. For instance, if your dog, if your Leica engages with a bear into its front face or front shoulders, paws, mm-hmm. it's a no-no because that means that like is really in danger because that bear can easily get to it. Right. And, and if it engages from the back, that's extra points. So the dogs that have uh, extra points for doing that type of engaging from behind where it's safe, mm-hmm. those tend to get you know first-degree uh, diplomas and those would be you know the, the prime candidates for breeding right so maybe it's intelligence in them because they don't want to get hurt and they kind of figure out if i engage from behind especially it's it's if it's a pair of dogs mm-hmm. or, or maybe it's been bred into them in, 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 to, to a degree where uh, it's it's a preferred method method of hunting and engaging a bear from behind so those dogs or maybe again those dogs that engage from the front they don't survive no and they, that they don't obviously don't get bred as a result of not surviving, right. so maybe maybe it's a combination of all, all those things. But yeah, the bottom line is, Elica uh, uh, should not engage face to face. It would right. go from from the back, right, which is much safer and as efficient. So,
2: um, talk, let's talk about the nose a little bit. So I know you had told me earlier. So since they're they're basically silent right. on the track, um, talk to me a little bit and tell the listeners, you know. What, what your experience has been so far, um, what you told me earlier about, you know, some time periods yeah, and then, you know, what, you know, what people say in Russia about the nose.
3: Right. Um, oh, I don't even know where to start. There's tons of information.
2: Uh, well, we, let's just put but, the, let's put the environmental factors out. We all right, know okay. that in hot, humid conditions, mm-hmm. I don't care what you're hunting but your your track time decreases yeah. tremendously
3: oh yeah they can go they can be trailing my dogs can be trailing something up the mountain as <laughs> soon as they get on the ridge top where it's just rocks and it's super windy yep that's where they lose it mm-hmm. so they can certainly do some ground scent trailing mm-hmm. and same thing they cross whatever they're chasing across the creek that confuses my dogs they, they're getting better at it but still
2: so the water crossings is confusing them
3: yeah Um Again, I don't know. I'm not always there. Sometimes I just see it on the Garmin screen. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen a bobcat jump a creek, mm-hmm. and they couldn't they couldn't figure it out. Um, maybe it jumped some rock and then jumped diagonally or something. I don't know. Uh, so, th- but that doesn't happen as often as the one that I. It's like on a windy day. Uh, if it's a saddle with tons of like, you know, open saddle, so mm-hmm. to speak, the rocks are just bare ground, and if it's super windy, chances are we're going to lose whatever we're chasing once they get to the, to that top of the saddle, top of the ridge, where the wind is just blowing that scent off of the top. But the this, but top. they're
2: not jumped at this point. They're not looking at it. No, yeah. no. This is when your dogs are trying to work the odor out.
3: Correct, yes.
2: And even though they are tight, and I don't want to call them silent or tight-lipped, whatever you say they are, you know you you told me that you know you you seen on trail camera mm-hmm. that a bear crossed and you went back and you were able to the dogs worked the ground and right
3: so that was that was one instance again i i have heard stories from other hunters with lycas and hound hunters and hunters in general that you you listen to that story and like and you're thinking Either I'm such a bad hunter or my dogs are so bad, but I don't think it's ever even po- possible that we'll come anywhere close to what you're describing, like your dogs have some sixth sense or something. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and you know, you just hear those stories and at some point you're starting to question that source of information. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so I tend to rely on more or less facts that can be proven. Right. So, for instance, I come home, well, it was last August, August chase season. I come home. It was like 6 p.m. maybe, and I have a trail camera set up 45 minutes. No. Yeah, it was 45 minutes away. I jump, in, and, and, and I get a picture. As I'm pulling in my driveway, I get a picture of a bear in front of the trail camera.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I turn around. I, I put the dogs in the, in the box. I throw the, the box in, uh, put the dogs in, drive there as fast as I can. 45 minutes later. I put the dogs there in front of the camera, and then several minutes later, they started baying that bear, I don't know, maybe like a couple hundred yards away, 300 yards away. It was a big bear, so he couldn't climb. (laughs) I guess he didn't want to climb, or he couldn't climb, but I was able to get to 30 yards or so. Um, So that was my first uh, confirmed uh, age of a trek that they could take it. And it was not like they... Because at, th- at that time, I went back to the trail camera where that started when I called the dogs back and called them called them off. I said, maybe they winded it. Mm-hmm. I went back to the trail camera, I checked the wind, it was not coming from that direction. Mm-hmm. So they used ground scent to chase that bear. So mm-hmm. 45 minute old track, in my mind, was a confirmed 45 minute. That's what they're capable of. And this, this August, I was out... Uh, for, during chase season, beginning of chase season. And the dogs chased something. Maybe it was a bob- bobcat. It was not a bear. Eventually, they split. They lost it. One of the dogs uh, kind of went one way. The other dogs came back to me. Then we continued on. And my dogs, I've never so far, I've never lost them. If it happens that they can't find me, they, they usually figure out the way to, to find me. If they can't, they just backtrack to the truck, and they sit at the truck and wait for me. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, that that one dog that did not return, um, I could see her on the other side of the mountain with a, a telescopic antenna for the garment I, I use. And uh, she was just still trying to figure something out. I, I was like, you know what? I was just going to continue hunting and she'll either come back to me or she'll go back to the truck. So, we went on. Every now and again, I'd check on her, make sure she was fine. At some point, uh, I found some old apple orchard. I made a waypoint. Let's say it was... Or whatever I don't know noon, and then that dog is still on the opposite side of a mountain trying. I don't know what she's doing there. Maybe she laid down because it was hot. Maybe mm-hmm. she found something to drink and cool off. Two hours later, I l- I left that orchard. Um, I'm you know continued on. Two hours later, that dog came back uh, over the mountain, came down, happened to cross my where I walked uh, just outside that apple orchard. So that was two hours ago that I was there. Because, again, I remember because I made a waypoint. Mm-hmm. And she picked up my scent, and she followed me, and she caught up with me. And I wasn't following a trail. I was just bushwhacking or right. following reach ups and then just going, like, diagonally going down mountainside. So there was no trails. Maybe some game trails here and there, but it's not like I was walking a trail. So that dog followed my tracks, my scent. That was left two hours ago. So that's the second instance where I can say that these dogs are capable of a two-hour-old trek. Mm-hmm. Now, is it a lot? Probably not. But if we go out hunting and we cover six miles in in the mountains or ten miles, chances are, especially if we do it early morning or late in the afternoon, chances are we're going run to run into a bear track that's within those two hours. Uh-huh. Frame, and that's even considering that two hours is, it, is their limit. chances right. are if conditions are right, it could be longer, and the dogs, as they get more and more experienced they're more they're, they're, they're probably capable of picking up and figuring out and following a track that's even older but this is in a in nutshell, this is how the, our hunts play out, which is start hunting I look on you know, on X or whatever map you know you use, I look on the map, I figure out the spot that's the most remote from any roads because that's where hound hunters will check they'll rig everything in the morning (laughs) yeah so it's like okay i'm not going anywhere close to uh, vehicle access i'll try to go where you know there's no hikers or or not many hikers although that's i'm not sure that affects bears as much as hounds (laughs) and um, ideally i would know what's what you know what bears are eaten at that time and Mm -hmm. i will try to target that, and that's what I do, and I start hiking, and it's quiet, and we go, and I always, if I bring someone along, I tell them, we'll just be quiet, you know, once the bear is in a tree, we can talk as much as we want, and after the hunt's done, we'll discuss, we'll catch up on everything, but for now, let's just be quiet, and s- stealthy, and we'll just start hiking, and we hike, 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 at some point, all of a sudden, the dogs just start barking, and, you know, 100, 200, 300 yards, they're treed. Mm-hmm. And we go in and it's a bear, so it's not for everyone. it's quiet it's maybe it's boring, but when it happens it happens quick and it's typically it's typically a bear uh,
2: and you know you say it's not for everyone, but the 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 end game is to catch bears.
3: well for me it is right, and but you're... I hear people talking again as <clears throat> I said before i'm I'm kind of introverted uh-huh. um, I like talking about hunting, but that's that's about it. Maybe I just that's <laughs> the only thing I that's on my mind, but I hear people say, Oh, for me, it's important to catch up with my buddies, so the social aspect of it is right. important, which I can clearly see how it's important for most people. Maybe mm-hmm. some, some, most people. I'm just not like that. I, my goal is to tr- see that bear in the tree, yeah, you know, and not to mention that they taste good, yeah, when the season is open, uh, but um, so this style of hunting. Uh, you you can't just, you know, socialize and talk out loud and laugh and you know, stuff like that. Right. Just you can when it's when the job's done. But right. up to that it's old it's old business. You gotta be quiet, the dogs are quiet, we're going in, we find that bear, then we I can mean, do
2: whatever we want. And I you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking back through many hunts that I've been on. Like I can't tell you I mean, over the twenty five, seven, eight years, whatever I've been doing this. I mean, I can't count on both hands how many times I've been walking through the woods, just the dog's loose, and the next thing you know, they're bayed or treed. Mm -hmm. It's just automatic. Mm -hmm. And that element of surprise, you know, the dogs obviously run right up on it in its bed and jumped it right up a tree. Right, And, I mean, most of the time when that happens, like, it's treed immediately. Right. I mean, you just, I can't can't recall right off the top of my head right now, any time that they've done that, and run for miles, um, you know. Most most of those times that I've been, well, all of them have been just like what you're talking about. You know, you hear the roar and they're tree, mm-hmm. or you know that you hear the roar and they're caught and it don't go nowhere. Um, so I think you know the dogs being tight, tight oh. on the ground and putting, you know, they let you know when they're caught. They just completely surprise a bear. Yeah. Like it's the element of surprise. You yeah, and, said and,
3: it- and in my case, most most of the time, as I said, my alpha stays close to me. The second dog ventures out. If let's say that dog jumps the bear and and tr- she trees it, her trees the bear by herself. Most mm-hmm. of the time, the bear is treated by one dog. When the second, when the dog starts barking, when the bear is treated, the second dog joins in, and then both of them start barking. It's not seldom, but like maybe forty. 35 40% of the time is when both dogs happen to be in, in the same spot and they start to chase mm-hmm. or they jump the bear at the same time. Typically they're in you know they're not together. So typically it's one dog that actually surprises mm-hmm. and trees the bear. The second dog again if that bear is on the ground that's when the second do- dog joins in and that's when <coughs> they start their dance thing and that's what helps treat or keep it at bay. But um, yes, that element of surprise, even with one dog, mm-hmm. can still work. And yep. It works. Um, again, in my case, we start out hiking quiet. They find it, it happens quick. Then, with two dogs at the tree, barking at the bear under the tree, then I approach if I have another friend of mine or a hunter with me.
2: Well, wait a How do they keep up with you? I hear that you're a complete terror in the
3: woods no that's not true Uh, that's what i hear hear (laughs) i'm 6'6 and my legs are i don't know how many (laughs) you got long legs though no but that's not true i go slow uh, because typically and that's another thing i carry i try to carry water for my dogs Mm -hmm. i would have like a gallon at least uh, in my backpack and also in my pack um i have pliers because we you know occasionally would run into porcupine Mm -hmm. typically north further north yeah um i don't think we have you have No. no but They're coming. I mean, we see them in Clark County, Virginia. We see them on the side of a road. Yeah. Now, for the past couple of years. So they're coming down from Pennsylvania and northern West Virginia. Anyways, uh, pliers, extra antenna, leashes, uh, you know, the kill kit, whatever else I carry with me. So my pack is pretty... And, of course, the gallon of water, plus some water for myself, plus lunch and whatever, in kind of, the gun if it's the season. So my pack is kind of heavy to begin with. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not trying to kill myself. I go slow. And in fact, sometimes it's good for for me to slow down, stop, and let the dogs go to the left, and maybe go over, over the ridge, explore that mm-hmm. area on the other side of the mountain. So I don't, I don't go fast.
2: Now, I don't know. It's not. That's not what Taylor and Ariel said. They said that.
3: <laughs> well, that- when the dogs are treed, then yeah, then I just go. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> Yeah, that yeah. gives me some motivation. But, uh, yeah, that's that's the, basically the hunt in a nutshell. In a nutshell, we just start going. they tree, it happens typically. Most of the time, it happens quick. And then we get there, and this is where the first uh, thing, you know, if things can go wrong, this typically, at least where it used to be, go wrong, when I had two dogs, now that I have another one, I have four, but one of them is a squirrel dog. So I, now I run with three dogs, and, and all three of them, it makes it a little easier. And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about bears bailing out of trees. Yep. Because it's only two dogs, it's not a pack of hounds, the bear is up there and he's like, should I run or should I stay? It's only two dogs but they were kind of biting me so I didn't feel <laughs> that great. But then humans show up uh-huh. and that's when bears like, okay, we're out of here. And that happens several times. Typically though, they're treed again within a 100 yards or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have tons of video on TikTok, unfortunately it was banned. so You, <laughs> <laughs> you all can't see it, but uh, it's on Instagram too, but uh, you can see where I, I approach a tree. The bear looks at me, jumps out, and I'm filming this. And then 100 yards, less than 100 yards, he's back tree because dogs are on 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 him right away. Now with three dogs, it's a little it seems like it seems like it's a little easier. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I learn how to approach that because that's an art in its in itself. Because yes, you it know is. the wind, I try to find a tree. In between the bear and myself, and I try to get as close as I can toward to that bear. Because once once you get to like twenty yards, the the bear considers you part of a pack, and mm-hmm. he's he's not. If you see if he sees you fifty yards away or so, he's gonna try to bail. Once you get under that tree, it's he's not gonna. In, in my experience,
2: yeah, it's not as yeah. It, it's, so it's the, for me the ride. trick
3: is to get under the tree <coughs> as fast as I can before the bear you know has time to see me and decide to bail.
2: Yeah, I I mean we have the same issues and it I don't know sometimes I just don't understand it. I don't understand why a eighty pound bear won't tree. And you know, and you've got five or six hounds mm. working him over and, and sometimes you've got a two hundred fifty pound bear that goes up first tree. I, I don't underst I don't understand right. it. I ne- I guess I never will.
3: Well, there are there are a lot of things to it and I, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I didn't I didn't notice that the type of a tree they chose probably plays the biggest role if the bear is comfortable if yes. it's tall enough and there's branches comfortable yep he'll stay another thing this is the question i'm and in fact ariel and i were talking we're talking about this not long ago how does treeing and freeing bears how does does it train them to run or does it train them to tree faster so we had a bear in west virginia early season small bear that we treat and we let him go and he treed like within 150 yards Quick. The second day we went to the same drainage, uh, same holler, and we jumped in the same area. And I'm convinced we jumped the same, same bear because there was tons of food. He was eating at um pawpaws, I guess, uh-huh. and uh yep. autumn olive. Mm-hmm. Um he ran uh one it was the young dog that treated him according to the GPS. I'm looking, he barked several times, then they go, they stop, he starts barking, then the, the one of the older dogs that happened to be nearby joins the young dog under the tree, and that's when the bear bails. That, ah. So I'm thinking it's the same bear that was treated the night before or a day before. And he, when he saw the second dog coming, he's like, "Oh, I've been through this before. Next, and more dogs, and then the humans will show up. Yeah. And you know, they're going to point a finger at me. They're going to put me on Instagram. <laughs> so I'm going. I better go. And I think that's exactly what happened. So he, as soon as the second dog showed up, he's like, "Okay, I'm out of here because I've been through this." So maybe it's doing that, maybe Yeah,
2: Ariel and I had touched on that, you know, the classical conditioning, the operant conditioning, you Mm -hmm. know, I, you know, I have my own thoughts and things that, what I think, but, um, I, myself, like, I get a bear treat, I prefer just to get my dogs and get, get out of there. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and Ariel and I had talked about some scenarios that I'd seen through what I, what I'd learned through experience, but. Yeah, I think that I think it plays a part in it. Yeah. Especially if you're treating the same bear and we do I mean we do. We oh yeah. If you hunt the same area, you're gonna catch the same bear oh, yeah. a couple times. I'd love to be able to put cow tags in them. Yeah. That way I could know. Yeah. know this one's Sometimes, green, this one's yeah. orange.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's <clears> unfortunate <throat> that we treat the same bear when we don't want to. And when you wanna treat that same bear that you treat during the chase season and the kill season starts and you like I have two bears that I've seen, uh-huh. the bigger ones. And I don't think I'll see him again in December, but I'll try. But you got
2: thirty days next week. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a chance. Yeah, Yeah. there's a chance. There you
3: go. Yeah.
2: So, um, let's wrap this up. And you know what you're telling me about the likeas. I mean, I mean, I looked at your dogs. They're they're medium sized. They're good sized. I like their size. Um, One of the questions I had is, how does the heat affect them with that heavy coat? (laughs)
3: I don't really, again, I don't have much experience with hounds. Um, I did have a hound. Uh, I shipped him to Russia at some point for a friend. Um, I started him on bear. He was, you know, starting his own track. Um, he was progressing real great. But every time, on th- if we hunt three days in a row, his uh, pads were peeling.
2: White pads? Were they black? I, I didn't really paint attention. I guarantee attention they are white and paint. Could be. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so this dogs never had that problem mm-hmm. uh, with heat. Uh, again, it was during that season. It was last early season that the hound and my likers were, you know, running together. Right. Uh, they seem to be doing just fine. the mm-hmm. Same. Uh, again, we try when I. That's another thing. When I root, plan out my route, I kind of try to have a couple creek crossings mm-hmm. in between uh, so they can cool down. So <coughs> I incorporate that in our hunt plan if it's possible.
2: So do you think? Um, and I was thinking about this, do you think because your dogs aren't like trailing and running, you know, like today, I mean, I guess my dogs covered, uh, I mean, I would say they covered probably 10 miles running. Yeah. Um, they, they come out of South, crossed over into the North, run out the North for a couple of miles, then down off the mountain, back up the mountain. Do you think because your races are so short, so quick, right. That you're not getting to that exhaustion level, Correct. that Maybe we
3: are. Correct. And another thing is, and this is what happened this morning: uh, the dogs chased that bear for about 800 yards, mm-hmm. and they gave up. And this is what I was listening to your podcast, uh, Doctor Hall. Doctor Hall, yeah I think. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how dogs, when they don't um, don't find, they were. He was talking about explosive mm-hmm. detection. Uh, if they don't see it. for for, you know a couple weeks in a row they kind of give up on doing that so they lose lose interest or motivation to do that job Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's a similar concept my dogs what i see them if they can't catch that bear within five six hundred yards and it's like running full speed typically younger bear i'm guessing
1: yeah
3: um Because on an older bear, those can move on on rare occasions. They can also move for a long time, but it's always much slower. Mm -hmm. But anyways, so my dogs, and this has happened, it typically happens early season, and it doesn't happen often, but this morning that's exactly how it played out. They jump the, that bear. Uh, the young dog barked a couple times. They, occasionally they would bark once or twice when the the track is super hot or they can actually see the bear running away, and then they they go quiet again until they gain, mm-hmm. just, you know. But um, I heard a couple barks uh, that tells me it's probably a bear, and then I see it on Garmin that whatever they're chasing is running away like mm-hmm. a bear, so I'm thinking, okay, that's got to be a bear. It gets to that 700- yard chase mark i'm thinking we're probably going to lose it because it's 11 o'clock in the morning and it's like close to 75 80 degrees maybe at that point sure enough 850 900 yards they just turn around now the reason they do that maybe is it intelligence is it because they've done it before over a mile and they never because if it, if they find a runner He'll outrun them.
2: Well, that and that's what I was going to say. Do you think it's because he got the the bear got a head start and they weren't able to get teeth to him,
3: to get Uh, to cope
2: with cope with
3: him? Well, maybe it could be. I can't really say for sure, but I think it's either because they've chased younger ones before and they it just doesn't work out Uh in the hot, you know, uh, on a hot day. Yeah. And it also could be, and this is where the intelligence might play out. If they, let's say, if they they stop chasing at eight fifty yards, eight hundred fifty. If they were to continue chasing, and they would have caught up with it at twelve hundred yards, uh-huh. then they need to engage. Then, when the bear charges back, they still have to have strength enough to evade, right. to escape. And maybe that's where their intelligent part kicks in and says, "If we continue on, we're tired, because it's the you know they're running fast." Um if we continue on and if we you know catch that bear and we need to engage then we might potentially get in trouble because mm-hmm. we won't be able to move fast enough to right. escape. Um maybe that's part of it I don't know. But the bottom line occasionally it happens, seldom, very seldom. So yeah. I don't really
2: yeah, uh, I get. It. I mean I, I just tell you I haven't uh it's been too I've I've seen bear about every day. I have um, caught a nice bear on the ground, got some dogs injured. Um, and today, this little bear. Probably wasn't 80, 90 pounds, mm. running wet.
3: Do you actually see it?
2: Yeah, it crossed the road. Oh, right okay, of, okay, yeah. okay. Um, the area we hunt has got several roads, mm. and if they cross out of a valley, they're going to cross. Mm. Um, mm. And we've seen the bear, and I mean, I mean, I'm, I, don't know what's going on, but I'm not getting them caught. Mm.
3: Um, well, because, again, could be... <coughs> I don't know. Maybe your dogs are not uh, putting enough pressure because it's, it's also it's hot, yeah, and they just don't feel you know strong enough at that point, or yeah. enough well, strength left in them.
2: It's very frustrating because I was catching bear pretty consistent, um, training them pretty consistently, and like I said, now um, and I I didn't get to hunt a couple of days. I, I've had I had COVID, so I was out for four hmm. or five days, and I mean just not like. I don't know, and and I'm down three dogs. I got one my one of my you know Kate's in heat and mm-hmm. um, Trip got hurt on that bear and he's out probably until December. I'm not even gonna try to run him until December. And then my other little female, I got she got staples all up her rear mm-hmm. end and in her back. Um, so I'm down to three dogs. One of the three dogs is not the fastest dog in the world, and then I got Spook who outruns the other two. Right. I don't know what's going on, but it's 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 discouraging. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah.
3: But uh, you have um, other hunters that you can tag along, mm-hmm. and you know, so yeah. that, that helps. I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like that season is gonna uh, you're gonna miss out on the season.
2: No, I yeah. got we got a couple more days, and in the early season,
3: right? I'm excited. Yeah, uh, can I do my yeah? Alex, uh, so that's what I was
2: gonna say. If you ha- if you were gonna say something about your dogs – oh,
3: I have a secret agenda. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, hidden agenda.
2: If you were gonna say something to wrap this up, what would you tell our listeners? What would you say? What. Put right, okay,
3: yeah, and I'll try to keep it short. Um, my whole hidden agenda, which I guess it's not that hidden once I mm-hmm. you know <laughs> uh, share it with you, but I'm trying to promote bear hunting with West Siberian Lycus or Karelian bear dogs or lycas in general. It can be done, it can be successful. We, we treat 36. Thirty-seven bears last season, and so far this season, I'm up to fourteen or seventeen. Um, so it can be done. Um, sorry, hold on a sec. I don't know. Seventeen berries so far this season. Um, that's with uh, in March. I started keeping the log in March. I went to West Virginia as non-residents. Uh, we can run uh, in up until end of March, right? Uh, anyhow, it can be done. I live. Uh, just just outside D.C., mm-hmm. and yet I can still, and I, for me to get to more or less, to the closest, nearest national forest is about an hour, an hour and a half from me. And it's not the most, it's, it's not like the prime bear country. And needless to say, most local bear hunters that live closer to, in, in, in that no, northern Virginia area, that's where they go most of the time. So mm-hmm. those bears are pressured. Yet we still manage to do it. So it can be done. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to promote bear hunting, this new style of hunting. And the cons th- th- are the negative sides of that are they're not cold-nosed like your hounds. They will never come anywhere close to a cold there's to a nose of a hound. So sometimes we go for 6, 10 miles and not a single bark. Uh-huh. It happens sometimes, and it's just that is it is what it is. But again, if it does happen, it happens quick. And then the positive though, <laughs> you only need two dogs so that it's it's a lot cheaper to feed them. Mm-hmm. It's easier to handle them, to train them. Um, the only training I've done basically is just a basic, very basic obedience. Recall, jump in the truck, and stop stop barking at the squirrels in my backyard. That's about it. Or, and, and I guess not chasing deer. So easy to train, only two dogs to feed. Um, you don't need a truck. All of my hunts, they start from a trailhead from a parking lot that's either gravel or, you know, asphalt. You can have a Prius. You can have a car with one dog box, you know, one of those air, airline-approved crates. crates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's how the last year I had two dogs. And the only reason I have more dogs because I needed a male, right? That's the main mm-hmm. reason I went back to, to Europe, to Russia, and brought more dogs because I wanted to find a male that would be a bear dog as well so I can breed him which this if I am going to breed him initially I wanted to do it this year but even I was thinking about last year and I'm thinking this year but now I'm thinking I'm going to do it if I'm going to do this it, going to be next year mm-hmm. I want this male to prove himself first anyway so another things uh, in you know in favor of this style of hunting I guess you you don't need a truck uh you need a pair of you need you need a garment or any kind of tracking device mm-hmm. um, you can control like I can control my dogs if I even if I'm hunting small parcels like let's say I'm hunting some private land for raccoon in mm-hmm. the winter in January February it can be 20 acre lot and my dogs never leave that 20 acres I see them going I beep or I whistle or I call them they come back so it's really I don't have a problem even though in Virginia we have right to retrieve yeah. Uh you know I try not to use that as much as possible so there's no conflicts. Right. Um but if I must I would but again it's easy to control those dogs there's they they're there they're next to you and if there's a raccoon cuz they're so quiet you can treat that raccoon in on a 20 acre uh-huh. lot no problem. <clears throat> um what else? Yeah so just one crate a pair of hiking boots and Two dogs. And you start hiking. And I always say, if there is a bear on that mountain, they'll find it. And another thing, and the last thing I'm going to say, we're kind of going back to one thing I've kind of failed to mention, uh, the, the style of hunting. Yes, they're considered hot-nosed, but it's not the only thing that they use. They use their eyesight and they use their hearing. We've had bears treed early morning. We're walking down along the creek. Which is not because of thermals, you kind of want to be on the ridge top because you'll start. The sun comes out, the, the thermals start taking the air up. We're following the bottom of this holler. All of a sudden, we're quiet. All of a sudden, about some hundred yards up or whatever, somewhere up above us, we hear a branch snap. It's one of those quiet mornings. Uh-huh. We hear a branch snap. Immediately, my dogs and I look up. You know, I'm still trying to process what just happened. The dogs are not thinking. They're just going. Uh And then several seconds later, they're treed. There's no way they could have seen it. There's no way they could have smelled it. It's just they heard one branch snap. We treat that bear. Another thing was, uh, again, we're quiet. And I always say it's usually we're more successful towards the end of the hunt because if, if I bring someone along, people like to talk. You know, they start talking. the time
2: you walk them to death, you've got them Exactly, them yes. So most of the time
3: we're successful on the way back to the truck. And I'm, yeah. this is, you know, i am I'm started keeping the log where I describe how the hunt went, and I'm already seeing that pattern because mm-hmm. people are tired. They're not walking and talking anymore, yeah. and that's when it happens because it happened before where we're tired, we're going, like, you know, this the the, swi- the, the trail switches back going up or down the mountain. We kind of go around this curve, and I look up, and there's a bear standing like 40 yards in front of me, the dog next to me, they see it. They go after it. doesn't matter where the wind's blowing. doesn't matter. They saw it. They, they went after it, which I guess any dog at that point would right. do. But still, hearing is a big thing. We would be yep. on the ridgetop. They would stop. And you can, they're panting. It's hot. But they want to listen. So they hold their breath. Yep. I'm holding my breath. And, the, you know, let's say someone's with me, and they're moving in the leaves, and they'll be like, just stop. And then it goes quiet, and dogs just listen, 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 and it would either go down or, or move on, or they go chasing something. So, different style of hunting can be effective. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say as effective, more or less effective, but it can be effective on bear hunting. And again, if it's only two dogs and they're very low maintenance, I just do rabies shots, lime, and the basic stuff, and ticks, ticks fleas. Mm-hmm. I give him brevacta. Yep, same thing. That's about pretty much it.
2: Well, I mean, I really like the you know the. the I, of course, I've got a I've got thirteen dogs out here. Three of them are pups, and then I've got my police dogs. But I mean, I I would my perfect pack is four dogs. Mm-hmm. Like if I could get down to four dogs, that's where I would like to be. But I've always got a young dog coming, so then it ends up being five. Yeah. And then I've got an old dog that I feel guilty about, so I throw him in there, and I've got six. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I'm running six. Um, but, yeah, just just the sheer sure pleasure of not having to handle six dogs yeah. and do this. And,
3: and that's the thing. thing. I go by myself most of the time. <laughs> right. You know, during off-season or at night coon hunting, I go by myself. Yep. So if I had several dogs, that's just – yeah. Uh, especially when I, when, when I hunt those small WMAs
0: uh-huh.
3: where I park along – basically like 20 yards from a highway mm-hmm. you know i have to now with two dogs i don't even put them on the leash i probably should but they i can control them. as we're right. going back to the parking lot i kind of beep yeah. them or a whistle and they come back to me and they stay next to me yeah. but uh having three four dogs which i have four dogs now but one of them was a squirrel dog she's just a little too too timid for mm-hmm. a bear and then the young one the young male Yep. So the only reason I have three dogs now is because again I have that male that I want to. Right. I hope he's going to become a berry dog. Yep. But that's it. Yeah. So it's.
2: Well, Alex, we appreciate you coming, and I mean you, you know, you drove down here, sit down with us, and you know, learn about the Likas, and you know, again, it still reminds me of my great granddad's elk Hounds. Um The coloration's different. His were gray, had a little white in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the note that, like I said, the, the nose of your dog like reminds me of the uh, coyote. Like it had that, like it stuck out to me just immediately, yeah. but I appreciate it. You know, hopefully the listeners will take something from it. I mean, these dogs were natural. You did nothing, but take them in the woods and they done it on their own. Hmm. And it, the progression, I mean, that's what the journey's about is, you know, hunting and training is a, is a journey. It's a progression. Your dog started training possums and then squirrels and then raccoons. And then, you know, year and a half, two years old, they're training bear. And, you know, if everybody would understand that that everything's a process mm-hmm. some do it faster some do it slower and some take a lot of stuff in between um but yeah i i i, I enjoyed the conversation like i said i enjoy learning about the Leikas. and like i said enjoy thank you for coming down and it, like i said at the end of every podcast we say alex thank you for helping us teach train and definitely learn about the Leikas and the Leica breed
3: No problem. Thank you so much.